The Lean Out podcast is sponsored by freewheel.co.uk, where you can buy online while also supporting local independent bike shops. Hello and welcome to the September edition of The Lead Out. Uh, I'm Alex Ballinger and alongside me is ex-professional rider and founder of Lecole, Yanto Barker. Uh, before we get started with this week's show, let's take a look at the headlines. After months of rumours and speculation, Tom Dumoulin has confirmed that he'll be leaving Sunweb after eight years with the team. The Dutchman will be making the switch to Jumbo Visma as they continue to chase Grand Tour glory. Marcel Kittel has announced his retirement from the professional peloton at 31. The German sprinter said he wanted to spend more time with his family. The Bink Bank Tour was won by Belgian Laurens de Plus, his first pro win with his compatriots Oliver Narsen and Tim Wellens rounding out the podium. The Arctic Race of Norway was won by Astana's Alexei Lutsenko, who finished just one second ahead of Warren Barguil from Arkea Samsic. Mariana Vost utterly dominated the ladies' tour of Norway, winning three stages and taking the overall 29 seconds ahead of Corin Rivera. And the Tour de l'Avenir was won by 22-year-old Norwegian Tobias Foss, who will be joining Jumbo Visma next season. It was also a mixed race for the British under-23s, as Ethan Hayter and Alfred Wright both won stages before Hayter and then overall favourite Tom Pidcock crashed out. Uh, so Yanto, it's been a busy month straight after the tour. You feel like uh, you know things are going to quiet down after the tour ends, but that really isn't the case at all, is it? Plenty of racing on straight away. Absolutely. You've got uh, San Sebastian Classic, you've got Ride London, uh, just to name a couple, um, Bing Bang Tour, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, there is still a lot to, lot to do, a lot to go out. It's easy for us as spectators to kind of sort of clump the season into th- three main categories. You've got season at the start, sorry, classics at the start, you've got the tour, uh, Giro than the tour, and then obviously the, um, the Welter and uh, you know, the classics at the end of the season, like Lombardy, the Worlds, which are going to be really exciting for us, obviously, on UK soil. So, but there are a lot of races going on in the middle, and there are lots of points scored and credibility and kudos from those riders who are doing well. And of course, now we have one of the highlights for any British cycling fan of the year, the Tour of Britain, which is what we're going to be talking about today. We are going to be previewing the race and chatting about the contenders and the key stages to watch. Yeah, one of my favourite races, so can't wait. So without further ado, let's get into some key stats from the race. So the 2019 edition of the Tour of Britain is eight stages starting on September 7th and finishing on September 14th, over 1,250 kilometres this year. We have one individual time trial at 14.5 kilometres long in Worcestershire, uh, which starts and finishes in Pershaw. Then we also have stages in Glasgow, Newcastle, Birkenhead, then as far south as Burton Dasset in Warwickshire before we head back up the country to finish in Manchester. So, Yanta, as an ex-pro, what are your thoughts on the, the route this year for the 2019 edition? It's an interesting question because actually the Tour of Britain often lends itself to a certain type of rider and that's quite similar most years, so without being too boring about it. But basically there is a combination of, of strengths that a rider to win the Tour of Britain needs and if there's an individual time trial, which there isn't always, then definitely that needs to be one key strength because one of the most obvious places to gain time or lose time is in that time trial. Uh, last year it was a mountain team time trial which was quite unique uh, and different and sort of uh, changed the dynamic of the time trial aspect to the race but this year it's an individual time trial so that will be really really important. Uh, secondly, and I know that teams who are going for GC overall do this, they isolate the, the stages that matter 
for a GC perspective and, the, and, and then obviously the ones that don't matter. And they obviously create a key focus around what they're going to do and how they're going to set themselves up to maybe attack the race or do something in particular on that stage to make sure that they maximize that opportunity. So um, obviously the time trial and then um, uh, I think it's the Burton Dassett stage, which potentially will create some gaps. And then if there's someone who's strong enough can go off on their own or create a combination of other riders that they can then beat in the time trial, that's something that they'll focus on and uh, try and achieve in the outcome. So stage one, uh, going to be an important stage, longest stage of the race from Glasgow to Kirkabri uh, in the southwest of Scotland. Um, what does it mean to have the longest stage of the race on the first stage, you think? Uh, it doesn't really make that much difference, to be honest. Um, you know, Pros at this level are used to anything up to 250k stages or classics even above that. Um, the thing I would say is Scotland does have a lot of climbs that will be uncategorised and while you know there's only three that are on the profile they will still have quite a tough day out and it does sap your legs and while all the climbing and altitude gain is not done in one big climb like you get in the tour uh, it does add up and if the teams you know really want to put the hammer down then you will start to see people getting dropped and gaps starting to occur so yeah the, the other thing that happens or can happen on a first stage is there's a big breakaway so it might be 20 25 riders who are really keen for the overall um, actually get together there is a split and then everyone's represented and suddenly the groups behind don't need to ride and no one's got the strength now to bring that back and then it goes and gets 15 minutes which has happened before yeah the breakaway is something that all the riders who are up for GC will need to keep an eye on on the first day and so we've got a uh, last climb comes about 12 kilometers from the finish it's not the the toughest climb in the world is third category third category climb at Bankhead so about 2.6 kilometers at around about three percent as well um, so not in terms of international cycling, not a tough climb. But the thing with British racing, which comes to characterise these sort of races, is that the accumulation of climbing, isn't it? That, that They can make that really unpredictable. Yeah, so what a lot of people don't appreciate is uh, when a sprinter knows he's not going to get over a climb, he basically pulls a pin early, goes in the gruppetto, just rides steady. Now, that's not to say that's all he's capable of. And a lot of people don't realise when he thinks he can get over the climb, any sprinter, Viviani, um, you know, couple just to mention you know as past winners of the of stages of the tour uh once they think they can really do it then they tend to hold on a lot longer than you think sprinters should and they become a lot harder to get rid of by non-sprinters so i do think there'll still be a sprint finish at the end of this at the end of this stage if it's not a breakaway but um yeah i may be proven wrong but still they they are talented and they can get over climbs like that that's uh, right so then if we move on to the second key stage of the race which there's going to be stage six now the individual time trial uh, 14.5 kilometres, not the longest, from Pershaw, starting in Pershaw and finishing in Pershaw. Big loop out of the town, not very technical, but virtually flat. It's going to be probably one of the most decisive stages in terms of GC, isn't it? Yeah, it will be the most decisive stage. And there'll be someone who might have held the jersey, you know, all week up until that day, and then he's going to lose it, which would be really disappointing, you know. You start to get attached to these jerseys. <laughs> um, but it will be won by a quality time trialist and probably a specialist time trialist. So, um, yeah, I think that's a pretty straightforward, predictable uh, stage to look at in terms of results and we haven't got a full start list but obviously when that gets published then we get to see a much much more clear picture of who might be potentially able to win this whole whole race overall um, because of who's in the start list for the time trial. The only pure, as we speak now, the only pure time trial list is on there on the start list is Jos van Enden from Jumbo Visma so I mean he must be thinking well currently I'm the favourite because yeah. there's no one else confirmed for it so. So I think there'll be an interesting one and so this I'll use these two riders, Jos van Emden and uh, uh, Matthew van der Poel, as examples of... Matthew van der Poel is very strong, we know, and very, very talented. Not a specialist time trialist, more of a kind of sprinter when it comes to road racing. Um, but 
there are time bonuses, and if he can accumulate enough gap with the time bonuses with, through the sprinting, um, then actually he might start to build up enough of a buffer to think he can hold on even in the time trial against someone as strong as, uh, you know, Joss van Emden or, or whoever else might be on the start list when it comes to the race in a couple of weeks' time. So, um, yeah, that that will be interesting, and I think that will be the exciting aspect of who can hold on and who can build up a lead that's not in the time trial, isn't the specialist time trial list, but then actually do it in slightly different ways. Got to think creatively about these things. <laughs> and then moving on to the next stage, if we look at stage seven, which is uh, from Warwick to Burton Bassett, uh, 186 kilometres. This one is going to be a really, ex uh, really exciting final, isn't it? We saw this in the, the women's tour earlier this year with three ascents of the Burton Bassett climb. Uh, 1.4 kilometres at 4.9%. So again, not terrifying on its own, but doing it three times, you never know how the legs are going to react to you. Yeah, so I think about this one. If the winner of the time trial takes the leader's jersey, I think it'll be a very controlled stage because they will be clearly one of the strongest riders in the race, having won an individual time trial, and will back themselves to be able to hold any group or anyone who's capable of taking off, uh, you know, either on their own or in a small group to take that jersey off them. They'll, they'll think they can do that with their team. Um, if the strongest rider in the race is not a time trialist and didn't win the time trial, then this would probably be a little bit more exciting and we'll, be, we'll see a slightly more attacking race with people really taking it to either the specialist time trialist who won and is holding the jersey or you know, if they're there or thereabouts, they'll think they can, they can take some time out and maybe get to the top. And with these, with these week-long stage races, particularly stage races in Britain, they can come down to such narrow margins as well, can't they? They can be so close between the riders that stages like this can, and, you know, any stage effectively can make the difference, can't they? You can't, it's hard to predict. We've seen, like this year, whole races, and uh, I'm thinking back to uh, a couple of races, you know, start of the season, that were won by less than a second. Mm. And then even just uh, the Arctic Tour of Norway was won by a second. Uh, from two quite different riders, actually. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, it is, it is always going to be down to small margins, and people don't really appreciate that. They're, they are all so good. Mm. They are all so talented. The quality of the field is right up there. And just because people are doing jobs, which is collecting bottles and pulling on the front, that if they were riding for themselves, they would be very competitive in the results sheet as well. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll see a really hard-fought race, and it's going to be you know, great. I'll be there as well. And then we, we will look at uh, the final stage of the race, stage eight from Olchingham to Manchester, uh, 165 kilometres. This is not going to be the processional sprint stage that you tend to get from a lot of, you know, every final day of stage races. We've got 2,000 metres of climbing, three categories climbs. Um, one of them is uh, Rams, bottom, Rams bottom break, 1.3 kilometres at 8.8%. So it's not going to be an easy day still, is it? Yeah, so uh, those are people that don't know the North. Ultracombe and Manchester are actually very close together. You could probably get there in about 20 kilometres or 15 miles. Um, so they will be doing a loop. And if they are doing those loops, then you're going to include some of those climbs, which the Peak District is very close by. And even the edge of the Peak District, before actually getting up there, gets some really steep sections that uh, if someone's really keen and wants to make a gap, then there's going to be some opportunities for sure on this stage. Is it a lot of uncategorized climbs in that area as well that could really make the difference? Yeah, is so this is, this is what we were laughing about, um, you know, that 2,000 or 2,500 metres of climbing in a 165k stage doesn't sound that spectacular, but it does add up and, you know, you don't get it all in one go like up the Izaran. Um, but if uh, riders are close or feel like there's an opportunity to take or, or they sense any weakness, that's the key factor because, you know, a lot of cycling is about bluffing, you know, trying to make it out like you're totally in control and your team's totally in control. But these stages can throw up a, you know, a surprise and if someone's really strong and going well. And let's not forget that the last stage is going to be stage eight and there will be fatigue in the legs. And if teams have been riding all, you know, all week, there will be some gaps occurring and potentially some opportunities to take if someone's got really good legs in the last couple of days.
Right, so those are the key stages then. Uh, let's have a look at the contenders. I suppose the first rider that is confirmed to be riding that we should talk about is Matthew van der Poel, who it's going to be really exciting to see him racing on British roads, isn't it? Yeah, he, I mean, one of the most exciting riders as a massive fan of the sport and having watched some of his uh, results over the last couple of years, obviously, <laughs> you know, not to mention the obvious Amstel Gold mm -hmm. win, which was just incredible. But he, I mean, he's, he is so talented and he's creating exciting results on and off-road, which is just, you know, almost unthinkable that he can be that competitive in both, um, you know, competitions. The terrain's going to suit him really well, I think, isn't it? Because he is so, so fast in a sprint finish, as we've seen countless times this year. But then also, he's so good in a hard attritional race, that cycle across mountain bike background is just, it means he can get over all sorts of terrain as well, can't he? So it should really suit him. So far from the, from the start list, uh, his biggest sprint rival is going to be Dylan Groenewegen from Jumbo Visma. Now, I've always had the sort of, the kind of shaky belief that Groenewegen on his day is the fastest sprinter in the world, which he can show sometimes, but he hasn't been the dominant sprinter really this year, has he? He hasn't been, you know, the out and out fastest. He's had a couple of difficult times, like he was top favourite to win stage one of the tour and uh, crashed with 15Ks to go in the same crash that Garrett Thomas came down in. Uh, in the end, his teammate won, which was great. But yeah, I do think he's slightly missed, whether it's, you know, cycling is a lot about odds and you put yourself in a safe position or you put yourself, and there's in, almost instinct in it. So maybe he's lacking a little bit of instinct to really deliver on his, his result. Because I wouldn't argue with you, and I think you're probably close to right on his day. He can be the fastest guy in the world. Um, and he's definitely more of a specialist sprinter than uh, Matthew van der Poel. So if it was a head-to-head, -head, then it's a Grunewagen, you know, favourite for me, definitely every time. Also, Mike Turnison, the guy who won the stage, um, his uh, Grunewagen's teammate who won the first stage of the Tour de France, um, he is there as well. And they seem to have a few issues with miscommunications from what I've seen in their sprints of late, where there's been times when Turnison has finished in front of Grunewagen, despite being his lead-out man, which yeah. is kind of, in sprinting, is, you don't do that, do you? Well, it's frowned upon, yeah. Um, when you say uh, communication issues, like, oops, uh, my radio fell out <laughs> and I'm not doing the lead out anymore. I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe they're genuine. But, um, but, but having, you know, beaten Sagan by, what was it, a centimetre on that stage of the tour, he's got legitimate reason to say, you know, I can, I can do this. He's really consistent as well, yeah. Tunison, isn't he? I mean, obviously he needs to be because he is supposed to be that last lead out rider. Yeah. But then also he's got a lot of kick himself. And yeah. yeah. And so for the general classification then, moving ahead to the uh, general classification battle, Van der Poel, uh, you know, maybe is an outside bet for the overall, but then also you've got Mikel Lander, who is a proven general general classification rider, and then Tish Benut as well. Um, those are probably the two guys that are most likely to win it from what we've seen so far. Yeah, I think Matthew Van der Poel should be put in the GC category uh, just because he can't not be. Um, but there's no one that really stands out massively, so I'm sure Michelando, with the right type of climbing, would probably start to eke ahead, well, he would definitely eke ahead out of the group that we've got, or the names that we've seen so far, but it just doesn't provide that opportunity for him, so he becomes less of an obvious. Um, I'd like to see him do well, and um, yeah, I think Dij Benut is similar in that, you know, very good all-rounder, really strong classics rider, will really suit the UK roads, but uh, can he do a time trial and beat everyone else? Not sure. So we'll see, but it will be exciting. So right, that leads us on to a bit of a discussion topic then. This was asked, uh, someone asked me on Twitter during uh, Ride London actually, they wanted to know which was the most prestigious race in Britain on British soil. And we've got some amazing races in this country currently, you know, the really increasing profile as well. So I wanted to ask you, Anto, what do you think, in your view, is the most prestigious race in it's this a, country? It's a difficult one, isn't it? It's tough, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's largely influenced by the time in the calendar that it comes because 
we just mentioned off air that uh, the tour, sorry, the Ride London Classic comes just immediately after the tour when I think there's a bit of importance fatigue I called it where everyone's like oh nothing can be more important than that and it's a difficult time for any race to be immediately after such a big big one but it is a great race and you know I live in the capital it's a fantastic place to race and Surrey's beautiful roads and it always delivers a you know a really deserving winner the spectators that come to Yorkshire are second to none in anywhere in the world in the world so in terms of you know prestige from a spectator point of view I think that has to be a, a strong measure and then Tour of Britain I love the Tour of Britain I've ridden it plenty of times and you know um, it visits lots of different parts of the country that I have other memories of and different races and that kind of thing and it's nice to be what I always remember is um, being a kid thinking about being a professional cyclist and imagining a motorbike following you with a camera and then going to where I was born in the Tour of Britain where there were motorbikes and cameras following us racing I mean that was quite kind of significant so um, so yeah again Tour of Britain has so much to, to go for it uh, and then the women's tour you know it shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be you know under undervalued and you know a great field always comes to the women's tour of Britain and I you know I watch it myself religiously every year and it's always again got really deserving winners they go over really difficult terrain and um, again very deserving winners so what do you think <laughs> I mean I've just kind of given the merits of each but yeah no, do you know what it is such a it's such a tricky question because they all offer something so specific don't they as well the Tour de, Tour de Yorkshire is such a great build-up race for the rest of the season as well isn't it and you see the classic guys really shining there and Greg Van Avermaet amazing this year and then you know Chris Lawler sort of coming through and Another race that was defined by such narrow margins that it was thrilling right up until the end. Um, and then the women's tour is one of the most popular races with the women's peloton as well, isn't it? Just because of the organisation, you know, the professionalism of it. Uh, you always hear riders singing the praises of the women's tour just because of how great it is. Uh, tour Britain, I've, it's got a special place in my heart. It was the first bike race I ever saw live and in person, one of the stages around London. Yeah, that's true for me um, as well, actually. Yeah, I, it's, it's a, I think that probably is the case for a lot of people, isn't it? Because... Um, been going for been going for the longest out of all of the races, isn't it as well? Um, so I've got a particular special place in my heart for that race. And there's always stages near you. You know, I, if it's not one year, the next year there's a stage near yeah. you, which is nice. Ride London, I I think it's a great event as well. I really like it. And Box Hill is I think it's, is it the most popular climb on the planet. I think it's the most ridden climb on the planet as well. So it's nice to see the pros going over that. It does seem to. Like you say, it does seem to fall between the cracks a little bit, I think, doesn't it? It's a busy weekend as well, you know, because it's San Sebastian on at the same time as well. Tours just finished. Um, and also races that tend to come down to a sprint tend to sort of don't draw quite the same amount of attention necessarily, I think. Yeah. Um, but the thing that I always think about Ride London is that it was always... I've always associated it more with the sportif than the race for some reason, I think. And I'm not sure whether that's just because it's what the conversation revolves around. Like my cycling club, there's, you know everyone's doing it for my cycling club and people are trying to get in um, but it is still a fantastic race and always won by a big star as well I can vouch for that in that uh, I live in London and I did do the Sportive and as many people congratulated me on my time in the Sportive as they did in, when I did the race <laughs> in fact more did, yeah, but didn't you win Ride London this year as well the, uh, the Sportive not, that is it's not a race <laughs> but yes I did it counts, it counts I think it's on your palm still, yes. <laughs> so if you had to put your name, you know, your name down for one Ah, oh, it's tricky. I, do you know what? I'm going to go for the women's tour, I think, just because of how much the peloton love it. I think, I think that's a really important thing, that to, to be a prestigious race, you've got to want to attract riders. Yeah. And never heard anyone say a bad thing from inside the peloton about women's tour, so I think that'd be my choice. What about you? Where are you, put, where are you putting your tick? Uh, I'd probably go to Yorkshire. Um, I think it's, yeah, lots of different reasons, but it's an incredible race, amazing spectators, and everybody that seems to go enjoys it both riders and spectators. 
So let us know which you think is the most prestigious British race in the comments below. Right, that wraps up this episode of The Lead Out. Thank you very much to Yanto for joining us. Uh, next episode is going to be a World Championships preview for Yorkshire out later this month. So please join us then. Uh, Cycling Weekly magazine is out every Thursday and you can follow all the action on cyclingweekly.com as well. Thanks for joining us. Bye.